So welcome to episode 23, the Jair Alexander episode. I am Dale Lovell and we have Peter Jones with us today. No Todd, he is taking care of the family, so it's just going to be us today. Welcome, sir. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good, Dale. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always so much better after a win, and especially after a win against the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. No, like you say, it's, um, it's always a happy week when we've beaten the Bears, and we'll get into this, but I think the nature of the win was also fantastic. Great all-round performance, and all goes well for the rest of the year, I think. Yes, I think it does bode well for the rest of our season, for sure. So Packers 41, Bears 25. And if you just looked at the score, it seemed like it was close, but it really wasn't. It wasn't in doubt for pretty much at halftime. The game was probably over at that point. Go over the highlights a little bit. Darnell Savage, two interceptions is this game. Yeah, and I'll hold my hands up being one of those that was complaining earlier in the season that he was had his invisible cloak on. Well, that invisible cloak has come off, I think, in the last two or three weeks, certainly on Sunday. A couple of big plays, and, and you know, we've been calling for you know, the defense to make those big plays, make the turnovers, because that makes a huge difference to games. And Savage coming up with those two interceptions. The first Packer to have two interceptions in a game since Ha Ha Clinton Dix against the Bears in 2016. Oh, nice. Bears are are happy to give it to us more more often. (laughs) Excellent game by, by Savage. We need more of that as the season goes on. Yeah, he needs to be that guy back there that's going to make plays because we talked about it before. Amos Green, they're not those guys. Those are strong safeties near the line. And they're, we need Savage to be great back there. And, yeah, it does see, feel like a little bit that he is starting to come into his zone. And I don't know what that is. Was he that injured before? Was it just that, you know, who they were playing in this game? But it does seem like the last three games yeah. he's starting to figure it out, which is good timing. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, it might just be that the, the light switch has come on or, yeah, he may have, he may have been carrying a, a niggling injury or something throughout the year that we've just, we've just not known about. And like you say, it's great to see somebody make plays in the kind of center field position because one of the things that always concerns me, and we, you hear this quite a lot about this safety is good in the box and this safety is good, good closer to the line of scrimmage, which, which is great, but you can't have three of those guys. Right, you, you know, and it almost begins after a while when you hear it so many times. Begins to sound like an excuse for a guy that you're basically saying he can't play deep, he can't play, you know, as the, as the traditional free safety and whatever else. So I think it was really a huge, a huge plus for the for the Packers. And I think if you you know if you've got that guy in the in the corners and like you say, Amos and, and then Raven Green playing closer to the line of scrimmage. That feels feels really good. It's a nice mix if Savage can continue to be good. Yep. Preston Smith scored a defensive touchdown in this game. That was nice to see as well. Again, it's like it's like somebody lit a fire under Preston Smith this this week. Yeah, I know that you know Rashan Gary got the start this week. That may have been what did it. Um, but whatever it was, more of it, please, would be great. Let's hope it's just not a one-off. Made plays, obviously returned that fumble for a, for a touchdown, another turnover play forced by Zadaria Smith. You know, lots to be thankful for. He, also, he had two quarterback hits in this game too. So it's, it, it seems like the guy that we saw last year, and you had talked about it, you start to wonder, was last year just an aberration? Like, yeah. is this the one year he's going to have that's good and, and the yeah. rest are garbage? He hadn't done anything, really. He showed some flashes here and there, but he really hadn't done much. I mean, he only had three tackles in his game, but two quarterback hits. That's what you pay the man for. 
Absolutely. Rush the quarterback, put that pressure on. Even if you don't get the sack, pressure the quarterback in the in a bad throws or getting rid of the football. That's why those guys get paid the big money. So I think it, it will be interesting to see over the next two or three weeks whether he can continue that. We really need him to as you make that run into the playoffs and stuff. You've got to pressure the passer. I mean, if, they, if, they, if the only thing they need to do is start Rashawn Gary so that Preston Smith can be great, nah, that's an easy one. Let's do that because Rashawn Gary has been playing pretty well too. Yeah, he really has. And I think that Gary looks like the guy for next season going forwards. And Fred, we talked about this already. The contract yeah. that Preston Smith has, that's really hard to bring him back. It, it really is. And unless the guy takes a pay cut, you just can't see him being around next year. Unless they've got something clever that we, we haven't worked out yet for next year. I'm going to bring this up like after the season, but it just keeps coming up in my head. And I know I didn't prepare you for this, so I'm putting you on the spot. So let's say Patton gets fired. I mean, we don't have to talk about why or whether he should or yeah. not. Let's say he does. Do they bring in a guy, a 4-3 guy, a defensive corner with a 4-3? Because, well, I'll just ask that question. You, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> All right, I think that if they were, then you're looking at, you're looking at who, are those, who are those defensive ends in the 4-3? You know, is... Zadarius Smith, for example, a defensive end in the in the four three. Is Rashan Gary a defensive end in the four three? Because those those outside linebackers in the in in the four three typically are not rushing the passer. So you're not looking at pass rushing guys. You're looking at guys that can cover as much as anything at the outside backers in the in the in the four three. So I think that you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Gary and Zadarius Smith could be four three end. I I I'd be happy with that. I guess the question would be, do you have the linebacking personnel to fit 4-3? And, and probably right now, no is the answer to that. But could, let's say, an Oren Burks be an outside linebacker in the 4-3 with his with speed? Potentially, I guess. You know, they're, they're, they've kind of moved him to outside anyway in the 3-4. But I think it's a personnel thing. Having said that, I'm not sure that in the front seven, they've got the ideal personnel for the, for the 3-4 either. You know, I, I don't think the defensive ends make enough plays in the 3-4 that they've got right now. And I don't think the inside linebackers are, are, are strong enough from what we've seen. Barnes and Kamal Martin are young guys who hopefully are only, only going to get better. So I think it could be either. I don't think there would be a restriction there on whether it's a 3-4 guy or, or a 4-3 or a guy, to, to be to be really honest. Who it might be, I don't know. Yeah, I just thought I'd drop that on you because it keeps coming up in my head. And I do agree, clearly linebacker is an issue. So if they went to the 4-3 and then Rashawn Gary put his hand down and let's say Zadarius Smith, but yeah. whoever it is, then who are the other three guys? That's what it comes down to. You sort of read my mind there. Oren Burks, I feel like would be okay in the 4-3 yeah. because he'd, they'd be able to cover him up a little bit. You know, Kamal Martin would play the middle, and then you'd need another guy for that third linebacker. Yeah. And what you said, again, I feel like you read my mind there. The Packers, Kenny Clark could play defensive tackle in the 4-3. Yeah. And then you've got Montrevious Adams and Kingsley Kiki, who are, I think, more defensive tackle bodies in the 4-3, and I think they'd be great there. It's that yeah. linebacker that really becomes the issue. I know yeah, I just went um, way off topic on that. Sorry. No, that, that's fine. And I think, you know, the more you think about the skill set of an Oren Burks on paper, the athleticism and stuff, that kind of feels ideal as, a, as, a, as an outside, you know, probably a weak side outside linebacker in 4-3. In we shall see. If Mike Pettin were to go, and who knows whether, whether or not he does, 
it would be interesting to see the type of guy that, that Lafleur wanted to hire. Because I get the feeling, nothing really to base this on other than the rest of his staff, other than, other than Mike Petlin himself. Um, you get the feeling that he's probably going to go for a younger guy. I just don't see Lafleur retreading, you know, some of the names that keep getting getting bounced around. I think that he'll pick a young guy too. I think he will try to find a like-minded guy like him who is willing to, but is willing to adapt to whatever is happening. I think what you had with Dom Capers and I think what we're finding with Mike Pettin too is that they have their system and that's what they do. And that works to a certain extent but when you got to make adjustments or your personnel doesn't match what you want to do, then what do you do? You know, you just don't, you, you, you're not the most effective defensive group. Then. Absolutely. And, you know, and if the philosophy is we want a defense, now we may or may not have the personnel to fit it, but if the philosophy is we want a defense that's going to rush the passer, that's going to put pressure on guys, we accept that you're going to give up the occasional big pass play when you do that. That's just the nature of, of that type of defense. But if you're looking for, say, a Jim Johnson, Philadelphia, that type of defense where the key is to rush the passer, stop the pass at source, then you go out and get a guy that fits that, that, fits that mold. I would be concerned about getting a, a retread guy, not because they're not good, but because he's going to come in with the system that he wants, whereas I think Lafleur will have been in the job for two whole years into his third year at that point. That's the time where he can start to make be more influential in, in what he wants as the head coach. I totally agree. All right, so let's move on. Some notable injuries in this game. Biggest one being Corey Lindsley. Yeah, so it looks like he's going to be out anywhere from three to six weeks, that kind of area. The fortunate thing, I guess, for the Packers is that's proven to be this season the one area where they can get away with an, in, an injury. You know, Elton Jenkins moving to centre, just done a fantastic job all over, over the line. And John Runyon coming in at left guard, guard has been a revelation. You know, we, we knew that he was a good tackle in college, was projected to move inside, and has been, been fantastic at that left guard spot. Even if Lindsley does come back later in the year, and let's obviously hope that he does, I think moving forwards into next year, we've now got a good piece of what Runyon can do. You know, he will have six, eight, ten games of solid number of plays under his belt, which can only bode well for for next season and beyond. Although you you know you'd obviously not want to lose Lindsley, I think providing you don't lose anybody else, that's about the one position or one of the few positions that they can, you know, they can get by more than get by with an injury. I agree, and I also thought, and when he went down, I thought that's an ACL, just the way the way that like his, it, his body language, and I thought, oh God, here we go. But now that it's, it's come out that it's an MCL, if he misses the three to six weeks that they say he's going to miss, comes back for the playoffs, you've got, I don't want to say 100% healthy, Corey Lindsley, but you've got a guy that's really not beat up. Yeah. And while you don't want, another, don't want the man to be hurt, he might be better off. I mean, for lack yeah. of a better term, if he has those, couple, those six weeks off. Absolutely. And it's, fun, it's funny the way that that, that that may work out. And, and I was having, just as a complete aside, a similar conversation with some Cleveland Browns fans on Twitter with Miles Garrett going on the COVID list. You know, that's how we're going to cope. But actually, you know what? The guy gets, nobody wants to be on the COVID list, obviously, but the guy gets two or three weeks off in the middle of the season and then comes back for the playoff run, like you say more healthy probably than before, not beat up, et cetera, et cetera. It can be a strange thing, but it could be a bonus. 
Yeah, it certainly could. It should be interesting. And I didn't see this when Josh Jackson went on the concussion protocol. I didn't see it either. So I don't know what the deal is there. And I, I've, not seen, I've not seen any updates about that. So I don't know what. I saw it on Pro Football Reference that he was in concussion protocol, but yeah. I don't remember him being on the list. Or, and he clearly didn't play in this game. But yep. yeah, they, that, that's always a scary thing because you don't know how long that can go. No, I mean, we've seen it, you know, we've seen it in the past, you know, even this season, you know, there's been guys that that go on there and you think they'll be back the next week and it's two or three weeks later and, you know, and they're not back. And, you know, obviously we we had it with um, uh, Sam Shields, never really came back. And yeah, you just don't know with that thing. Yeah, head injuries are not... Yeah, you just don't know. And hopefully it's minor. Hopefully they kept him out as a precaution and it's not a big thing. You know, as we beat up on Josh Jackson a bit and we know his limitations, but I think you said it, Peter, when he's your third or fourth guy, he's a really good third or fourth yeah. guy. So we need him back, especially down the stretch for the playoff run. If we're going to play the Saints, a fully healthy Saints team, you know, who knows if Breeze will be back, but, you know, Thomas will be back for that game. And we got to play the Seahawks and DK Metcalf and Lockett and all those guys. We need all hands on deck for that. Mm-hmm. So, I'm all for keeping them out if they need to. I think the Tavon Austin thing, I wonder now how bad is Tyler Irvin hurt when you go and pick up a guy like Tavon Austin? Yeah, and, and you know, a guy that's a very similar player to Tyler Irvin can, can do the things that Tyler Irvin does. Great speed, quickness, touch of the fumbleitis throughout his career, which is a bit of a concern. But you have to be realistic when you're picking up a guy 11 weeks into the season that doesn't have a team. There's a reason he doesn't have a team. There aren't too many Hall of Famers sitting out there on the street at this stage of the season. But no, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. I think it's a good pickup. I like I like the idea of, as much as anything, of getting more speed. Speed, it's the old saying, but it's but it's true, particularly in football. Speed speed kills. You know, you can you can make up for a lot of things, but if you speed, you can't make up for. And it may well be that Austin just makes one or two plays as the season goes on. But those one or two plays could be the, the plays that win you a game, win you a playoff game, turn around a game, you know. And that's what you're really looking for. You know, you're not expecting a guy to come in at this stage and catch 100 yards receiving every other week and that kind of thing. You're just looking for that. Could he be a spark? Could he turn something around in a game that you're struggling in? And he's certainly got that potential. So I think it's a I think it's a really, really good move at this stage of the season and we'll just see how that goes. I mean, you're absolutely right. It does beg a question, what really is the status of Tyler Irvin? Feels like a we needed to plug a guy into that role because we weren't sure. And I could be wrong. Packers clearly listened to the Average Cheese podcast when I went <laughs> off that Darius Shepard should be cut. <laughs> I'm sure that's why it had nothing yeah. to do with anything else than I said. Darius Shepard should be cut. If you're making a playoff Super Bowl run and you have a team like that, you can't have the mistakes that Darius Shepard was making. He's a great story, right? North Dakota State, small college guy, little guy, hard worker, you know, in the playbook, all those kind of, that that's all fine. It's all good. That's great. And I hope that Darius Shepard catches on somewhere else. Yeah. I really do. But he just, especially in that last game that he played, he just isn't sure of himself out there. That's what it seems like. He just doesn't know. He's not decisive. Yeah, ab- absolutely right. And, and again, there's a reason why these guys are the sixth wide receiver on the roster or even the seventh wide receiver, you know, and 
and they're on the verge of making the cut or not making the cut and they bounce between the roster and the practice because there's a reason for that you know i think with those guys in particular you're always looking to upgrade your team as the season goes on as the off season goes on and i, and I know that's difficult and it's hard as a for a person i but it is a business and always looking to bring a guy in and see whether is he better than the number six, six that we've already got. Then we upgrade the team that way. And so those guys, the Darius Shepherds of this world, you know, even before that, the guys, the Jake Kumros of this world, those types of guys, they've, they've almost got to be perfect every time they step onto the field because their opportunities are few and far between. They just absolutely can't be making the kind of errors that unfortunately that, that Shepherds made. And, I'm sure that he'll catch on somewhere. He'll probably end up on somebody's practice squad and be around again next year. You know, he's going to be, I imagine, one of those players that is kind of the 53rd or 55th player on somebody's roster for a few years. So I'm sure that, you know, he's got a career around the NFL. But on a playoff contending team, you just can't have those kinds of things happen. Packers also picked up Anthony Rush off of uh, Chicago's practice squad. Gigantic man, huge man. Yeah, I was going to say, so no no matter how much I've been eating in lockdown, he's still bigger than me. (laughs) He's probably bigger than both of us combined. (laughs) 360 pounds, that kind of of area. And sometimes with those guys, when they list them at 360, they're really 380. Yeah, Um, 380 just looks like too big of a number. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, Or he's actually 400 and nobody wants to put 400 on there. But, you know, clearly... A big body in the middle. Can he do a job as a, as, a, as a run stuffer in the middle? If he can, then fantastic. If it turns out he can't, then you've lost nothing. Yeah. And, and again, you have, to look at, you have to look at it the same way, don't you? If he's sitting on somebody's practice squad, the chances are he's not the next Hall of Famer. Right. But you never know. If you sign enough of those guys, try out enough of those guys, eventually you hit on one. If you ask him to do one job, if he can do that one job and that's stopping the run, fantastic because that's exactly what we need exactly i mean you bring him in you see what he can do and you let him go if he, he doesn't seem to fit the bill i mean you got billy Wynn, you've got you know you lost montravius adams for the season so you give him a shot and he's that guy that i've been looking for i mean is he the athlete or the player no he may i don't know maybe he is yeah. but he's definitely the body that i was hoping the packers would bring in and look at you know we go back to gilbert brown that kind of size couldn't get a team was cut by the vikings the packers pretty much picked him up in the same kind of circumstances as a guy would take a look at and we know the great job that he did for the packers in the 90s there so there's always there's always hope and i think it's a good idea to pick those guys up and like i say if he can do a job as a one-dimensional run stuffer then he's done the job we need him to do talk about the offense a little bit so there were a lot of good things when you score 41 points it's easy to talk about the good and i couldn't come up with any real bad things for this game but you know i always got to come up with something so there's a couple little things so (laughs) so the good aaron Rodgers didn't throw for a ton of yards but he was the aaron Rodgers who is going to consistently be towards the top of the mvp talk 21 of 29 211 yards four touchdowns 132.3 quarterback rating. And interestingly enough, he did not throw the ball only to Devontae Adams. He really spread it around. All four Mm. touchdowns went to different guys. And I think any any game where 
Rodgers can throw four touchdown passes. You don't need him to throw more than 29 passes is typically going to be the game that you want. Obviously, well capable of throwing 40 or 50 passes a game for 400 yards. But you know what? If you can put up 41 points with him throwing 29 passes, that's ideal. Absolutely ideal. It was as good a game, I think, as we've we've seen Rodgers play in a, in a little while. And nothing that immediately springs to your mind. You think, well, he didn't really make that throw or that throw. I, yeah, it was it was it was a good performance by, like you say, an MVP caliber quarterback. And like yourself, it was pleasing to see that the receptions were spread around. Um, it would be nice to see that going forward, right? I mean, as much as I love seeing Devontae Adams catch the ball, you play better teams and you got to have more guys step up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully that continues. Through for his 50,000th passing yard. Just the 11th guy in NFL history to pass that mark. And it's incredible to think that the Packers have had two of those on them consecutively. I think the thing about Rodgers this season, and I have to be honest, I didn't expect this. He doesn't look like slowing down. You know, I, I think that although his numbers were good last year, to me, he's undoubtedly been better this year than he was last year. Whether that's because he feels physically better, whether it's because he's better in the system in the second year it's whatever whatever the reason is almost doesn't matter I think that I felt wrongly uh, now I can hold my hands up and say that I, I felt like he was on the downside of his career I felt like we probably never see an MVP caliber season again I'm not saying I thought he was going to fall off the cliff anytime soon but I just didn't think he was going to be quite at that level Certainly proved me wrong. On the basis of what we're seeing right now, you know, you can see him continuing at this level for the next few years. And that obviously begs all sorts of questions, but they're not questions that any of us, including the Packers themselves, have to answer today. Worry about those down the road. I just really, really impressive. Like I say, throwing having to throw just 29 times in a game is what ideally what you want. The running game was excellent. Jones and Williams were excellent. And they had huge holes to run through. And they ran a lot inside. So, you know, the blocks of of Jenkins and the two guards, Patrick was excellent. So I think that offensively, generally a super performance. EQ got in the game. Interestingly, they didn't throw a ball at MVS, which was, I don't know whether that's just pure coincidence, whether that was by design, or whether that's just the way the game panned out. Probably just the way the game panned out, but we shall see. I said the same thing. A couple of things that you said, you weren't the only one that thought that Rodgers was on the backside of his career. There were a lot of national guys talking about, we've seen the best of Aaron Rodgers. We will not see this anymore. He's got 33 touchdowns already this year, which is more than he had in the last two years. Packers clearly thought that too. They wouldn't have drafted Jordan Love if they thought they were going to get this Aaron Rodgers. They just wouldn't have done that. He's been great. And yeah, he's going to throw for over 40 touchdowns. I don't think there's any question about that. And that's to what you said too about the running back room. They were just really good in this game and it was Aaron Jones can create his own space and is real nifty with his feet but you have to get Jamal Williams that room he will then run through the hole and he's very good at finding the hole but he's not going to create his own space so that leads exactly what you said the guard and the tackle between the guard tackle hole just the entire line was what created the running room for these guys. And it was a, yeah, they ran for what, almost 200 yards, yeah. 200 yards in this game. My buddy, Bob Tanyan, I'm not going to call him Tanyan because I'm from Wisconsin and we don't talk that way here. <laughs> Tanyan had five for five for 67 and a touchdown. I love him because I have him on my fantasy team. 
I look like a genius because I drafted him in like the 10th round. Very quietly, I, I put a couple of tweets out yesterday. I, he's, he's on course for 54 receptions this season, which is only seven short of the Packers' all-time record for a tight end in a season. So 61, Jermichael Finley in 2012. But he's almost doing it under the radar. He's going to end up with 50-odd catches this year, perhaps more. And he's only four short of the Packers' record for touchdown receptions in a season by a tight end. So he's quietly putting together a historic season for a pack for a Packers tight end and you know we all had these hopes again for the last couple of years that maybe he would break out but he didn't do it and then all of a sudden this year breakout season and you know he just looks he looks like a super player but he also looks like one of those guys that's only going to get better as well the more he the more he plays right we may we may absolutely have found something there so when he came out of Indiana State I think that's where he went to college it was he was kind of thought of as just like a receiving like a big wide receiver yeah kind of like he was just going to be what Sternberger I think is right now yeah Tanyan has gotten better at blocking I don't think he's fast but he has good feet and he's able to you know make that I don't want to call it a sudden cut because that's not really accurate but he's more athletic than he was given credit for and I agree with you I mean when you are in that rare air of you know Paul Kaufman Jermichael Finley who was I thought a great player you're doing things and really he's gotten no national up until recently I think in this last game he got some love from the national guys but up until then no nothing really yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I think, as I say, I think if he ends the season with 50-odd catches or maybe 60, you know, I think there'll be people from other teams, fans from other teams that suddenly look at the end of season statistics and think, where the hell did this guy come from? Yep. And that's good. The, the longer he could kind of stay under the radar of other teams, the, the better. But, you know, having that tight end option, you know, along with Devontae Adams, having that guy over the middle and you know you mentioned Sternberger and Mercedes Lewis and 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 those guys the more options you've got just opens that offense up and and makes it easier to to move the ball and pick up those vital the vital yards and that's why I argued that we still needed a wide receiver we don't have to go down that road again but right the more weapons you have the harder it is to defend your team and the more open than those other guys get. I mean, if they don't, if you can't double cover everybody out there, then someone's yeah. going to be open. If you've got players, someone's going to be open. So, yeah, we talked a lot about the good. And there's a lot of good things in that game. I really am nitpicking with the bad. Okay. So I thought, I don't know when it was, late in this game, I really thought that they should have brought in A.J. Dillon, Tim Boyle, and just, I did not like that Aaron Jones and, and Rodgers, and they were handing the ball to Aaron Jones late in that game. When that game was out of reach, it seemed like it would have been a time for A.J. Dillon. So he's still on the COVID list, I believe. Yeah, I guess he must be. Yeah, yeah. Um, he really must have it bad. Well, yeah, and there was a, um, one of Lafleur's pressers. I can't remember whether it was the end of last week or the beginning of this week, but somebody asked him about A.J. Dillon, and he pretty much said, I'm not in a position to comment. Wow. I think he was trying to say... Because it's a medical issue, I really can't talk about it. I, I would prefer to have not seen Aaron Jones and, and Jamal Williams out on the field in the, four, in the fourth quarter. Thank you very much. What do you do, right? What can you do? I know. The same with Rodgers. I, I guess the fear, and this is a little bit of paranoia, I guess. I guess the fear is that once you get to 41-25, that it theoretically is two scores. You know, So even with three minutes or four minutes left in the game, theoretically you're saying it's not impossible for a team to score twice in that in that period so i so i guess that's the thinking there you just don't want to see you just don't want to see those guys in the in the game at, at that stage because 
it's just asking for trouble and you know eventually eventually that catches up with you you know there's a guy that does a knee on the last play of the game that's that means nothing you know that that stuff happens and you talked about this i put it as a negative but it's not necessarily a negative i was stretching MBS didn't even have a target in this game. And my issue is not that. I don't mind if he was targeted or not. Coming off the game, though, from last week, you worry about his mental state. I do. Like, okay, does he feel like he got left out? Because really, at the end of the day, Lazard is back, yeah, but you need your third receiver to be pretty good. Now that he's the three again and he's the deep threat and that's his job, like that, that's important still. And he's yeah, that it, guy. It's something that, that went through my mind as the game was progressing. And then again on Monday, that it's, it's like, I hope the guy's mentally tough because that's the kind of thing that if you're not, it would eat at you. It would say, actually, after last week, are they, are they sending me a message that, that they don't trust me? You would almost want to find a way to get that guy in the game even if it's just for one or two plays, find a really safe pass to throw his way and get, and at least getting feeling like he's back part of the offense. So I feel the, I feel the same way. You know, it's, it's one of those minor niggling things that just makes you wonder. There may be something there. There may not be something there. It may just have been the way the game panned out. But you would kind of want to make sure that he got a couple of catches or whatever it might be, you know, in that game. But I mean, I guess we'll see how it goes yeah. forward and see if that affects him or not. It just worried me, and it's exactly what you said. Is yeah. he mentally strong? I've always said I don't think he is, but everybody grows. So we hope that this kid – not a kid. He's a grown-ass man. Oh, that's my first – grown-ass man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he should be fine, but you worry. I mean, yeah. you need him to be great down the stretch. So let's talk a little bit about defense. When you give up 25, but really it wasn't – I mean, these – they started playing that really soft zone at the end. So I thought they had a pretty good game defensively. Minus the big play on like the first, was it the first play of the game? The first off the defensive play yeah. when uh, Montgomery ran for 57 yards and that was a hole you could have driven a truck through. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, I think I, even I would have got through that hole. Yeah, I mean, um, you could have both ran through that hole <laughs> together slowly. Yeah, <laughs> but, it, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, when you saw that that early in in the game, you thought, oh, here we go. But then it was pretty good after that. It was. It was good. And, yeah, again, you know, complementary football is important. You get ahead of a team like the Bears who are not built to come back. That helps. But, you know, all round defensively, it was probably the best defensive performance of the season, albeit, in fairness, not against the most potent of offenses, but you can only play the guys you're playing. You know, and I agree with you. Yeah, they got soft in the fourth quarter, went to prevent and all of that, but I understand that. It's an, it's annoying as a fan. You know, you want to see beat up on the Bears and, and everything, but I understand that. The job was done at that point, and, you know, you can look across all of that defense, and we've talked about Savage and Preston Smith and Gary. It was absolutely one of the better defensive performances of the season it was good to see Kevin King back again you know play you're getting back at the right time in the right time of the season so yeah you know you would absolutely be happy with that defensive performance and hope that that's a performance that they can repeat against another offense next week which is also not so potent right now they also produced three turnovers in this game and that that never happens yeah on a Packers team I mean the two picks by Savage and then the fumble recovery by Preston Smith, we've already talked about it. That's what the Packers need to do because you know they're not going to – I mean, we, at this point in the season, it's week 12. They're not going to stop the run any better than they already have. We don't have to talk about it over and over again. But 
if you're not going to stop teams, stop the run, then you need to start being a ball hawk and you need to, you know, stopping them that way by creating turnovers. You know, when you're that kind of so-called bend but don't break defense, when you're trying not to give up the big play and, and therefore forcing teams to hopefully have 14 or 15 play drives, the reason you do that is eventually that if they have enough plays, they're going to turn the ball over. And you're right, you know, the Packers haven't done that. Only eight turnovers coming into, into Sunday's game. So to get three is absolutely critical. It's always critical in, in any foot. You can look at every other number. If you look at turnovers nearly every game, week in, week out, the team that wins the turnover battle wins the game. And you put this down, and maybe you could address a little bit. They started playing a little bit of cover zero, which is interesting. Because I don't remember seeing it at all the entire no, season. I haven't seen it at all. And, and, and to be fair, it was um, Ben Fennell on Twitter who kind of picked that up and highlighted a, certainly one play. And then when you go look, there are a couple more plays where, yeah, absolutely cover zero. And they rushed six or seven guys, five or six guys. I think, I think that when you can do that in moderation, you know, it's not something that, you know, unless you're built to do that, which the Packers aren't right now, but... I think if you can do that in moderation and pick your moments to do that, I think that's that's a good thing. And you've got to mix that stuff in. We've bashed this scrum all season. That three-man pass rush just ain't going ain't gonna to get it done. And it doesn't matter whether it's Johnny Unitas or Mitch Trubisky back there. If it's a three-man pass rush that don't get to the passer, any of those NFL quarterbacks, you know, the 40th NFL quarterback will pick you apart. No, it's good. It was absolutely good to see. Let's see more of it. I mean, it's something different. And I'll give Mike Patton credit where I think it's due. Yes, you realize, and it may be a little bit late, but three-man rush was not working. So let's try something different. And when Josh Jackson is on the field, I think the Packers can play. No, I, don't want, I definitely don't want them playing it a lot. But when you've got King, Alexander, Jackson, and then whoever, you know, whoever else you got back there, you've got guys that can play man-to-man. And they're probably better at it. I would say that King and Alexander in particular, and Jackson actually, are all better playing man-to-man than they are playing zone. I would absolutely agree with that. And and what's interesting is you see, certainly in the last two or three weeks, you've seen a lot of these plays where the Packers have gone in the cover too. The corner has dropped off and you've seen the receiver run an in route and the corner's let him go because it's zone coverage. And the linebackers aren't there. The inside line, right. for whatever reason, they're not there to cover him. And it looks like corner has made a bad play, but he's clearly expecting zone coverage inside and the receivers ended up about 10 yards by himself and they're wide open they're college wide open give Kamal Martin a year to figure that out the whole I need to cover this guy this is my part of the zone Christian Kirksey might as well just talk about it now he is starting to fade into the abyss he had five tackles in this game which is not abysmal right it's okay but he can't cover anybody either you're a veteran like you've got to be able to figure this out I had huge hopes high hopes for Christian Kirksey and I thought that he was athletic and he was going to be the answer and I don't know why he isn't the player that everybody expected him to be but he clearly is not yeah and I'm in the same place as you and and again you hate to look at it this way but it always comes down to dollars and cents it mm-hmm. comes down to what value you get for what you're paying a guy it has to be that way in the free agency period and so if I'm paying a guy six seven eight million dollars with his bonus I expect a guy to play at that level and he hasn't played at that level we all expected him to hope that, that he'd be an upgrade on Blake Martinez particularly in the in the passing game I don't think we've seen it he's just simply not the guy that we hoped he would be and it is what it is 
We don't need to talk about the, the run. If you take away the 57-yard run, they didn't run the ball after that anyway. Like I said a million times, the Bears stopped themselves in the run offense. The Packers didn't stop them. But the other thing that I thought was very strange, and it was uh, I saw someone else on Twitter brought this up, Raven Green in the slot was a very – It wasn't. he wasn't often in the slot, but he was there a couple times, and I think it was a couple times too many like him there. He's not that guy at all. I agree. I mean, Chandon Sullivan's your slot guy. Quite how Raven Green ended up in the slot, perhaps not by design. Perhaps they were in man at that point, and he ended up, you know, with his man lining up in the slot. Yeah. I don't know, but you don't want to be in that position too often. I agree. I like him as that linebacker. I, I, I Now that I've watched games on Game Pass <laughs> – like it just opened up my eyes to stuff. I'm like, huh, Raven Green, there he is again, next to the Kirksey. That's interesting. I kind of like that. I, I think yeah. that that's where he's best suited. But yeah, it wasn't a lot. I don't think that's a thing. I think it, what you said is probably 100% correct. Now that I've listened to you say that, I think he just ended up there because that was where he had to be yeah. in man or, you know, for that play. So anything else about the offensive defense before we move on? No, I don't, I don't think so. I just, I just felt like, you know, you always have some trepidation going into those games, especially, you know, it's the Bears, but it's, you know, division rival. It's a game that you expect to win, but you always have some trepidation that if you don't get off to a good start, becomes a close game, becomes, a, you know, a dogfight in there. And, you know, it was one of those where you just felt pretty early in that game, beyond that 57-yard run from Montgomery, but pretty early in that game, you just you felt like you could relax. That doesn't happen too often. And I guess because you felt that all aspects of the Packers game were working probably as well as they have together all, all season. One of the things I put down in the miscellaneous stuff is the Packers seem to have been very lucky with other teams' injuries. In this game, it was Akeem Hicks not yeah. being in there. They play New Orleans. Michael Thomas doesn't play. They play Tampa Bay. Both Evans and Godwin are both banged up. Like, it just seems like we're hitting these teams at the right time. I'll take a no Akeem Hicks all day long. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it certainly seemed for a while in, in, in probably about 2017, 18, that the Packers seemed to have an extraordinary amount of injuries. But probably because we don't look at every other team as closely as we look at the Packers. It's probably, on average, no worse than most other teams have. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we've been fortunate when we've played those teams that they've been missing guys. But, you know, you could say, well, Adams missed two or three games. Corey Lindsley's been hurt. Bakhtiari's been out. Kenny Clark missed four or five games, whatever Aaron it was. Aaron Jones missed games. Yeah, you know, Kevin King, Alexander missed a couple of I guess it probably works both ways, but... Long may it continue. Wherever we're playing, when we play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, if Patrick Mahomes is hurt, I won't cry. Not that I would wish it on anybody. No, but I hope he's just hurt for that game. Yeah. <laughs> and he's perfectly healthy the day after. <laughs> yeah. So the one thing that you kind of touched on already is I felt like the Bears may have given up in this game. It was that, maybe not for the Bears front office, but for me, if I'm in the Bears front office – this is the game that gets both Nagy and Ryan Pace fired. I just felt like they gave up early and they weren't, they weren't even in it. Yeah, and I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there because that's a mentality thing. That's not about a team's ability to play, not about the skill set. That's, that's a mentality thing. And that absolutely has to come from the top, whether that's the coach, whether that's the GM downward. And whether that's a, something you go into the game with or whether 
going behind early and quickly is something that can change a team's mentality like that. I suspect it can if they're fragile. But at some point, you know, that more than anything else, because there's very little difference for most NFL players from number one at a position to number 30 at the position in, in the NFL, maybe at quarterback, but at very few positions are there huge differences. They talk about it being a game of inches, which it is, but it's also a game of mentality. There's being able to play at your best when you have to play at your best. You know, that's how teams drive down the field at the end of the game and come from behind to win because they do it when they have to do it. And I think that, you know, you can look at the Bears roster, putting the quarterback situation to one side, but there's good players across that roster. You know, Montgomery's a good back. You know, Alan Robinson, Hicks, okay, didn't play, but Mack and, and all of those guys, Kyle Fuller, they've got some, you know, Eddie Jackson, they've got some good players on that team. So there has to be a mental thing. And just quickly putting my history hat on, that was part of what Ron Wolf felt when he came to the Packers. It wasn't that they didn't have some good players. They didn't have the mentality to believe that they could win. And, you know, and at some point, you've got to make serious changes to, to change that. Bears win this game. The Packers are 7-4 and four, and the Bears are 6-5. and five. This, yeah. this was a huge game for them. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. they just never got up. I mean, even with that big run, the wheels could have fallen off the Packers yeah. right there with that 57-yard yeah. run. But it didn't. But they didn't seem to gain any momentum from it. The other thing, just I don't want to talk about this too much, both Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller went on Twitter and they didn't say anything specifically, but it basically looked like our quarterback fucking sucks. That's what it looked like on Twitter, like their their reaction to the game. And that's not good when you you were right there in a playoff line. Yeah, and I think that if you have players that, feel like they have the rights, if that's the right word, to come out and say those things, you know you've got problems, mm-hmm. right? Because because there are players across this league that are playing with quarterbacks that are struggling, right? Or just aren't good, yeah. So, so you either come together as a team or you start saying that stuff in public or hinting mm-hmm. at stuff or or telling a reporter this or that reporter that, you know, and then, then you know that there are problems when that starts happening. I'm sorry I went off on that, but I just thought it's just ah. interesting that they're doing that. They are splintering. That that gets you fired. Yeah. Nagy's fired, right? I don't know if they'll do it during the season, but he's fired. Yeah, I mean, I, I think now that they're probably going to wait till the end of the season. If I were a Bears fan, I'd be for their heads, I'm afraid. My other thing, this is the last thing I got. One of my favorite two plays in this game was Boyle lunging forward so he wouldn't get negative yards and then almost causing a fight on the last play of the game because he doesn't want to break the record for negative yards in a season. I will... I would bet my paycheck that that's why he was doing that. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, it, it was hilarious. And I, that was um, awesome. I made a point of checking the official stats to see what they gave him, and they gave him zero yards. Zero yards. Like, Two carries for zero yards. Because yeah. um, I've, was... I've been tweeting for weeks now that Boyle holds the Packers' record for career lowest career rushing yards. Nice. So his minus 13 career rushing yards is the Packers' all-time lowest record. <laughs> I've got 13 more rushing yards than Tim Boyle, you know? Um, right. Yeah, it was, that was hilarious. I thought that Absolutely. was great. And then they almost caused a fight. That, <laughs> the last play of the game, they were like, what the hell? <laughs> that was super funny to me. So they play the Eagles uh, next week who are struggling themselves. We can go over the three keys, but I, I don't think there's any point. It's the same three keys every week, you know, like pressure the quarterback, stop yeah. the run. That's it. 
you know, for this Packers team, it really is because you you expect the offense that this Packers team has got, and they've proved it week in, week out, with a couple of exceptions. Nine of the 11 games, week in, week out, they're going to put 30, 35, potentially 40 points. You know that they're going to put that number of points on the board. You know, and they can do it in a variety of ways. You know, they can do it with Rodgers passing for 400 yards, or they can do it with Rodgers passing for 200 yards and us rushing for 200. They can do it in a variety of ways. So you kind of, it's almost a given, he says, touch wood, that, <laughs> that you know, they're going to get 30 plus points. So it's not about the offense. It's, to me, it's about, it's about the defense. It's about, as you said, stop the run. Don't give up those big plays. Get a couple of turnovers if you can because those always swing games. But yeah, you just feel like if the Packers' defense stops the run, the Packers win. That just, that's, just, that's just what it, what it yeah. feels like right now. Yeah, and this is a week against the Eagles. And the Eagles haven't scored more than 29 points in a single game. Five of their games, they've scored less than 20. I think in each of the last, I don't know how many games, they've scored, only scored 17 points. It's an offense that's going nowhere. It's an offense that can't protect the passer. And poor old Carson Wentz is stuck in this double whammy of he's got no time to throw and he's got no receivers that can get open anyway so it seems which is a shame you know we'd all had high hopes for Jalen Rager for example but just for whatever reason hasn't worked out yet yeah and you just I was feel just gonna like, say that I, I was yeah. so wrong about Jalen Rager I thought that he can't shake anybody he's just no. a fast little guy that I think yeah. just ran by guys I was yeah. so wrong about Jalen Rager well it hasn't worked out this year it's early days and sometimes right. it's all about it's the way that they're being coached it's the system that they're in we'll, we'll see how that pans out certainly this year those guys can't get open and you just feel like again this is this is a game for the Packers the Packers defense to almost put up some numbers turnovers etc etc so <laughs> you hate to say it but you just struggle to find a way that the Eagles can win this game the only way is barring some strange set of circumstances where the Packers fumble the opening kickoff and Rodgers gets sacked on the first offensive play and fumbles and they're down for you know unless there's some strange set of circumstances like that it's it's a game that you just can't see how the Eagles can win this game very similar to the Jaguars game where it's like <laughs> I, I don't see it yeah but then <laughs> As long as as they pull it out, what do you got for the the history? Yeah, so it's a rivalry that goes back to the 1930s. Packers ahead in the series 27 and 17. It's kind of unfortunate when you look at some of the big games in the series. 1960 NFL championship game, Packers lost. The horrendous game that we all should never speak of, that game. (laughs) (laughs) The 4th and 26. Oh, I've done it now. That, that Ah. That should go in the swear jar. Fourth of 26 is a bunch of swear words. <laughs> um, I, and I guess the other big game in the series, the other playoff game is the one that we should remember from the 2010 run to the Super Bowl. First playoff game that year, 21-16, the Packers won. It's a series that the Packers have done well in, although, of course, they lost closely to the Eagles last year. And lots of players, lots of players that have played for both teams over the years and, and kind of the big names as we would as we know, Reggie White's the obvious one that, that comes to mind. Jim Ringo went from the Packers to the to the Eagles in the 60s with a famous Lombardi trading him when he wasn't in the room, that story. Keith Jackson, tight end, started his yeah. career at the Eagles before he went to Miami and then the Packers. Lots of guys. And Chandon Sullivan played for the Eagles before he came to the Packers. And Richard Rogers, who's now at the Eagles, of course, caught another kind Hail of Mary. semi Hail Mary last weekend. Quarterbacks, Doug Peterson, of course, Ty Detmer, played for both teams. So lots of players, Ed West, Al Harris came from the Eagles to the Packers. So lots of guys 
in kind of the last 20 years or so that have played for both teams. A long history, so going back to the 1930s, but because we've not been in the same division for many, many, many years, you know, only 40-odd games in the series. It's interesting that Richard Rodgers is now caught Hail. That wasn't really a Hail Mary. Yeah, I mean, but, sort of was. But kinda, yeah. Two different teams. I was not watching that game, and all of a sudden I was looking on Twitter, and it's like, you know, Richard Rodgers, king of the Hail Mary. I'm like, really? And I thought it was to win, like to win the game. I'm like, did the Eagles come back? Because I watched it for a little bit, and they looked horrible in that game. It was the strangest game against the Seahawks there because early on, the Eagles, well, the Eagles looked horrible all the way through, but they looked horrible early on. And then the Seahawks couldn't punch it in on both of their first couple of drives, maybe even their first three drives. And it was like nothing, nothing for the longest time. And he thought, well, maybe the Eagles will somehow find a way to pull this thing out. They're that bad. They weren't pulling anything out. It just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So I wrote a couple of things, I, just a couple of NFL things. I know we've been talking for a long time. It's going to be a long episode. Um, Matt Patricia finally got fired, which I'm sad about. I don't know why. I mean, I guess I do. I'm a big... Like, if the Packers were going to get rid of Patton, I wouldn't want them to do it until after the season. If I was in the Bears' front office, I would not want to get rid of Nagy until after yep. the season. I think it's just a, it's a bad precedent to fire your guys in the middle of a season because it, it's you giving up. That's what I think it is. Your franchise is giving up. Now, did Matt Patricia need to be fired? Oh, hell yes, he did. He's freaking awful. He tried to do things he just couldn't do. He's not Bill Belichick. He thought he could be Bill Belichick and run that same kind of program there. You didn't win anything first. I'm sure that Belichick, when he first started off, probably wasn't the same guy he was after he won three Super Bowls. He could do whatever the hell he wanted after he won three Super Bowls. Guys wanted to play there, and they accepted all of his nonsense. Matt Patricia had won nothing and thought he could come in and implement that, and that went way south. And a lot of players don't like him. You're absolutely right. But Belichick's the great example. Because, you know, he bounced around, was with Cleveland for four or five years, etc. You know, the Patriots, the Jets for a day. They earn the right to be the way that they are. You mm-hmm. know, they earn the right through winning Super Bowls, through winning. I think the other thing is, I think something that teams ought to be more careful of. And, and I'm sure that they must assess all this stuff. But you think when you get an assistant coach, whether it's the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator, and you bring him in as your head coach, surely you look at who was he coaching under? Where was that guy's emphasis? Bill Belichick being a defensive-minded head coach. His background was originally as a special teams coach, but then as a, you know, a defensive coach with the Giants all those years. Do people really think that Matt Patricia was running that defense in New England? It's a good point. Matt Patricia was running the defense that Bill Belichick was running. He wasn't a full-blown defensive coordinator in a Mike Pettin role where there's nobody overlooking what he's doing. It's similar to a degree with the job that Hackett's doing for Green Bay and he's doing an excellent say job that. but the question mark you would always ask about him well how much of the offense is his and how much of it's Lafleur's? and you mm-hmm. kind of know the answer to that question that's something that always surprises me with teams that I'm sure that they must do it they must go through that thought process but it just surprises me that somebody would think that Patricia having coached under Belichick was suddenly some kind of defensive guru and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you about this firing coaches during the season. I don't like it as a matter of principle because I think you've got to that point in the season where, hey, who the hell... That's one right. for the square jar. Yeah. Who are you going to get at that <laughs> stage of the season? It's going to be an interim guy because surely the guys that you really want to replace the guy you've just fired, he's in a job, surely, somewhere. And B, 
it's not a very good look. And I have to say that it's one of the few things that I've not liked with the Packers when they fired McCarthy with three or four games left in the season two or three years ago. Um, you know, it was time, but they could have waited to the end of the season. There was nothing in my mind to be gained by doing it when they did it. And I thought it was poor. Same. I said it at the time about the Packers. I, I didn't like it. I thought it was a poor thing. And I think it's the same for, you know, the same for other. T- There's just nothing to be gained by it, I, I don't believe. If you're the Lions now and say, say Daryl Bevel does a decent job for the rest of the season and say they go, I guess they've got five games. They go three and two over those games or four and one. They they lose to the Packers and win all their win all their other games that they've got left. Is that an advert for the guy doing the job going forwards? I yeah, is it? I, yeah, I, it I should I, be. I, yeah, it's it's like I don't know because you know you can bring the guy in from within the system. Heck, he's been there all that time that you've been losing. You know, and now he's going to change his course because yeah. he's the head coach and not the offensive I, coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you. Just as a matter of principle, I I just I just it's. For me, it's the appropriate thing is to make a clean break of it if you're going to do it at the end of the season, get rid of yeah. them all and move, and move on. On Black Monday or whatever they call that day where all the coaches yeah. get fired. A couple more things. I don't know the answer to this, so I'm going to ask you, how good are the Seattle Seahawks? They're, what, 8-3 and three also right yeah. now? Yeah, are they better I, than the Packers, do you think? I don't think there's a lot in it. The worry for me with the Packers, when they've lost, particularly Tampa Bay and Minnesota, they've just literally crumbled in the middle of a game and fallen apart the Seahawks aren't that team you could get out 14 nothing on the Seahawks but does that mean you've got Russell Wilson beaten the answer is no so I think they're different from that perspective I don't think there's much to choose between the Packers and the Seahawks I mean DK Metcalf and those guys will give you fits absolutely and Russell Wilson will play for 60 minutes and for me you know he's right up there in the conversation and I know he's thrown some picks recently and I and I and I get that you know if you were building a team said Russell Wilson's your quarterback you take that absolutely <laughs> you, know, you know he's it right up there with the Rodgers with the Mahomes probably those three. I think they're very evenly matched teams and they're a team that you'd like to avoid in the playoffs. But if you get that far, you're not, you know, you're not going to. I think what you said is exactly what I was thinking. The word I kept thinking of was they're resilient. Yeah. Like they're not going to give up. Packers did look like they gave up in those games. They just did. They couldn't come back. I never thought like, okay, they'll turn the tide here. Whereas I agree with you, the couple of Seahawks games I've watched, they just seem to keep on keeping on until it until they get it right you know i mean they didn't play well against the eagles and the eagles are really not a very good team but they won the game they, they won and i don't know what it is and, and sometimes we can be hypercritical of our own teams i certainly am um, but sometimes when you see I, I guess both mahomes and russell wilson and the teams that they lead you just feel like even if they were 17 points down going into the fourth quarter that those are teams that can come back to win. Somehow or other, you know, they can take their next possession and score, get the ball back and score. The Packers don't feel like that. And and I guess until they do it, we're always going to have that doubt about it. But you just feel like Mahomes brought the Chiefs from behind to win in all their playoff games last year, including the Super Bowl when they were behind by 10 points in the fourth quarter. You watch Russell Wilson and you just feel like that guy never gives up. You feel like... In his own mind, he believes that he can bring the team from behind to win. So, I, yeah, resilient is probably is probably the best word for them, you know, because they've got holes on defense. 
Absolutely, they've got holes. Yeah, on they're really not very but, good on defense. No, you know, you just feel like, you know, you could get into a shootout with the Seahawks. You know, you could easily end up in a 45-42 game with them. I think it's a case of wait and see. I think that if they lost Russell Wilson, then they're done as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, but that's probably the case with with every team with with the top quarterback. We'll yeah. see what happens over the next five games. You know, and I'm not sure whether home field advantage in the playoffs, if you get it over them, is a huge advantage. I guess the one thing you, you don't have to have the travel, you don't have to cope with that, changing time zones and stuff like that. So I guess that helps from that perspective. But we'll see. You know, they're a good football team and there's three teams that now Packers, Seahawks and Saints that appear to be the class of the NFC. And the other thing I actually put was, do we want home field? And I'll just answer that. I don't think we do. I, I would rather play in Seattle. Seattle. I'd rather play in New Orleans. I'd rather play in a dome in a big game than play in Seattle or in Green Bay. I think yeah. we are built to throw the football while we have a running game. I think that that's still our focus right now. Yes, we have really been good at the time of possession all year, pretty much all year long, but I'd rather play in the dome rather than play in Green Bay. Yeah, and even the Packers running game, which is Aaron Jones, let's face it, it's Aaron Jones with, with the occasional bit of Jamal Williams in there, but it's Aaron Jones. That's built on speed. Mm-hmm. That's not built on a bruising three yards in a cloud of dust or a, or a yep. bunch of mud. You know, yeah, a Ed, pile Ed, of Ed snow Bennett or running in, the, running in the mud, offense, running offense. It's a, it's a speed. It's, it is absolutely built on speed. And the Packers, I think, are three and one in domes this year, and the only game they've lost is in overtime to the Colts. So yeah, it isn't how it was twenty years ago when Lambeau Field was a huge home advantage, and the Packers would really struggle in domes because they did you know even through those five years they always struggled in mm-hmm. domes it's not Minnesota like and New Orleans didn't matter in the dome they yeah. struggled and you even look at it by week if you get it if you're the number one seed is a great thing to have if you've got players injured and you want to take the week off it could also be counterproductive you know even 2011 Packers team that went 15 and one when the number one seed had that bye week they came up and played terrible against the Giants in the first playoff game and got themselves knocked out by a team that they never should have lost to. Mm-hmm. Getting that bye is not always the blessing that it's made out to be, particularly Packers' recent record after buys, which is not great. Regular season <laughs> or not, yeah, we have not done well after a week off. Yeah. So I think that's it. Maybe we should just wrap it up there. Do you have a prediction for Sunday? I do have a prediction for Sunday. We should go over those. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the Packers are going to walk away with this game. Miles Sanders, pretty good back. I, I think, though, on offense, I think if we can, I think Zach Ertz is the real wild card on their offense for the Packers because, like we talked about, I don't think the linebackers are, you know, yeah. very good in coverage. But I think that the Packers can easily outscore the Eagles. I don't think, from what you said, 29 points is the most they've ever scored. I don't think they score more than 17 points in this game. I think at some point, honestly, I think Jalen Hurts is going to end up playing in this game. I think that they're at that point. They want to see what he can do. I think he will create some issues for the Packers because they're not going to be ready for that. But I think the Packers win like 35-17. So I had 37-17 in my, absolutely the game that I expect it to be. And you raise a great point about Jalen Hurts. I'm surprised that he hasn't played more than he has. And again, I know that he'll be thrown in for an off into an offense that's struggling but he gives you something different he gives mm-hmm. you the mobility and just something different and sometimes just throwing in a different guy can spark can spark things into 
into life. So I'm surprised that he hasn't played more than he has so far, but we may see a bit of him on Sunday. But 37-17 was my gut feel, and let's hope so. So we will end it there. Thanks for tuning in to episode 23. It's a long one. You're welcome. And go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.